Hey y'all, this is Chris, and you are listening to One Cross Radio, and today I am interviewing uh, a new friend, my neighbor, and associate pastor of St. Clair Community Church, David Arnold. Dave, how you doing today? Hi, I'm good. It was a long walk to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify, Dave lives like, what, 15 steps from the door? Yeah, well, we figured out, I don't know if we've tried it, that we could get from one porch to another without touching the ground. Yeah, so that's, that's true. How close we are. That's true. I still, I'm still thinking we need to build a ramp. Just yes. it'd, it'd be fun times. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we're gonna dive right in. And for any new listeners, how this works is uh, I've been doing a series on the blog called the Chat With, and that is the inspiration for the podcast. Just because some stuff gets lost in doing the uh, doing just the text based, and it's a lot of fun. So we're gonna dive right in. All right, so Dave, can you share a bit with us about your testimony? Yeah, I actually was just reflecting on this the other day. For me, um, being in Hamilton, that came um, almost exactly 10 years ago. That marks a whole journey in, uh, in and of itself. But if I was to go back to the start, um, uh, I was born in Ireland. Both like parents and like the kind of heritage of my family is... Um, our grandparents that were in pastoral ministry in the Presbyterian Church, and I grew up. Uh, eventually, grew up in London, Ontario, and that's that's where I spent all my years going to school through high school and university. Um, had parents uh, that really love Jesus and were strong examples in my life, and grew up with two younger brothers, whom uh, are super close in my life. And now that we're kind of all into adulthood, they are um, some of my best friends who both love Jesus and uh, we've been journeying together. So I I would think first and foremost um, there's a, a real sort of nucleus or, or like a real core in my life that has been a stability for me and has helped me learn the way of Jesus. Um, first from the example of my parents um, and then and then you know through friends and wherever else. Uh, I mean, I grew up going to church and at a certain point had thought, ah, this church thing is good, but I'll take it serious when I'm older. <laughs> it was the, like, I'd rather just do what my friends are doing at school, and then at some point I'd get serious about the faith stuff. Um, but I do remember very specifically when I was 12 years old going on a, a youth retreat at church. I actually really didn't want to go because... I didn't want my friends at school knowing that I was doing a church thing, so I was avoiding it like crazy and ended up going and had this radical encounter with the love of God. It was sort of this concept that I I knew God was real because it had been taught to me and sort of showed to me like to that point growing up, but then there's this moment that felt like it was just this decisive inbreak of God showing up in my life in a way that... Just at 12 years old, I was like, oh, God's real, and God loves me a lot. And I knew from that point that was something I couldn't shake. And so I kind of went into my high school years and kind of every year got a little bit more serious about what it meant to live out this life for Jesus. But it wasn't until later in high school where I think God really actually grabbed a hold of my life. And I was like in a place of wanting to surrender my life to God and... And then it, the kind of ride just became wild, where I was like, okay, God, I'm 
I'm all in. And I got really excited about sharing my faith with friends. I was like super invested in like youth group stuff. I got connected into some camps that became um, amazing avenues for me to learn what it was to follow Jesus, to be in a like leadership role. That that was a really um, safe place for me to to learn and grow into that. And I was really passionate coming out of high school uh, to serve God, and felt a call to ministry. Um, and then I. Uh, I stuck with that, but I struggled hard through my university years and had to learn some very hard lessons of my own frailty and how I <laughs> thought I was all that and then some and, and realized, oh, I have a super destructive inner life. And and there were moments where God's grace met me along the way in that. And, you know, ultimately that's been a part of my journey of where I am today, where I'm like in a pastoral role, shepherding people um, I mean, it first started for me in doing that in a camp and youth group context and loving it. And then it's just grown and evolved from there. And I've kind of always carried a deep sense of calling around that. Awesome. And it's interesting when you come across those like, uh, what I'll call graceful drop kicks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're like, I'm all that in a bag of potato chips. Don't tell me what to do. And then the Lord's like... No, son. <laughs> yeah, it was more like a graceful pile driver. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I had a few wake-up calls along the way that were, uh, I realize now I needed that, but it was not fun at the time. No, it's never fun. Well, and that's the thing. When iron sharpens iron, it's it's necessary, Yeah, but it's not easy. It's not, not painful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm and i actually more thankful for it now than I ever would have been before realizing it's actually God's grace that allowed me to fall on my face as much as I did mm-hmm. because he had something really, like, precious to show in mm-hmm. that that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. I just hope I learn it enough to not unnecessarily repeat the same kind of, like, <laughs> stupidity. So... It's like, all right, let's relearn this lesson. Yeah. Well, it's it, that's some, the ongoing sanctification process, right? Like, yeah. it is ongoing. It is painful, but the good kind of pain. Yeah. And then, hopefully, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you said you felt the call to uh, the call to ministry in early age. What was that kind of like? Um, I think at some point, a lot of people, myself included, have been like, I think I'm, I feel called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not necessarily true to everyone. So what, like, what was that like? And was it a specific call or? Yeah. I mean, I realize, yeah, the sense we, you know, in like Christian world, we talk all the time about being called, Mm -hmm. but, um, I know in my own experience, I actually felt that pretty clearly at an earlier point. And I know that's not everyone's experience, but for me, it came through, I think first being, uh, a camper at, at one of these Christian camps at Ontario Pioneer Camp and Joy Bible Camp and uh, and I just I saw guys older than me that I thought these guys are cool and they love Jesus I think I want that you know I saw something modeled before me that I I wanted to pursue that I felt just really drawn and like it's just compelled to like follow their example and so when I you know was 15 16 years old and sort of the the game was changing for me where you get too old to 
be a camper and then and then you're it's like well if you want to be a cabin leader now's the time and it just it was that process of stepping into that where it woke something up in me that i don't think i even realized was in me but it was the switch of like oh i was looking up to these guys now there's like kids looking up to me and and when i realize oh there's a life to that that is so rich and invigorating and demanding that i just like was hungry to keep growing in those spots and having those opportunities and so i then just kind of reprioritized my life where it was like okay this can't just be a camp thing i gotta go home and i gotta like be a junior high leader and, and there weren't other high school students doing that at my church at the time i grew up in a bigger non-denominational church so um so there was a, a, an easy avenue for me to sort of step in and be one of a bunch of leaders but I was kind of this lone high school kid to a whole bunch of like cool university students. And so I'm like immersed with these older guys. I'm like, Oh God, these guys are cool. And yeah. I think they love Jesus. And then here I am like being able to be alongside them, but also be a leader of these junior high kids. And it just, it, by the end of high school, when you get to that place of being like, well, what am I going to do next? It was like, well, I know the thing that I love the most. And that's like having an impact on like these younger guys so I want to keep doing that and got to think, I think you've put it in me to do that. Um, and so it was through those experiences, through those opportunities that it really grabbed hold of me. And I felt like, I think I'm called to do this kind of stuff. Awesome. And like, didn't get the intimidation factor of that. Didn't like de deter you at all. Well, I think I was like, I was pretty like, probably had points of being pretty prideful about it whereas like I, lo I loved it I was really passionate about yeah. it and then kind of thought like oh doing this will make me really spiritual so it was kind of I think this <laughs> it was like the crash that came maybe later in university was realizing oh I'm trying to live this whole outer, outward life of being a super spiritual person but inward I'm like crumbling and mm -hmm. that just is when it like caught up to me um, and that's where God was really graceful to you know, help me figure it out along the way. Um, but I kind of like was pretty passionate and just like freewheeling with it early on. Where I was like, okay, let's just do this and, yeah. and really sort of jumped on board. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you're the associate pastor at St. Clair Community Church and your big thing is uh, you've been in charge of missional families. So can you share some of your experiences there and what the ideas behind missional families and why they're important? That's like a three for question. Okay, <laughs> boom. <laughs> uh, yeah, missional families, uh, I wouldn't say that like they're not unique to St. Clair, but they are St. Clair's unique expression of trying to figure out what it means to be the body of Christ. I came in to St. Clair a year and a bit ago um, it's a church plant that sort of has been happening in our own backyard and we're well connected with a lot of people that were a part of that starting three and a bit years ago. So we were well aware of St. Clair and its dynamics and so we knew that these missional family things existed um, but it wasn't until a year and a bit ago that we, um, that we joined St. Clair and then got fully immersed in leading a missional family and myself helping to direct and encourage the missional family leaders. Uh, and then I really, it was at that point for me of cluing in that, oh, this isn't just the like cute new phrase of like small group 
cell group Bible study thing mm-hmm. is it's actually trying to be something more and different altogether which the title for it is helpful to say missional families because it really is just trying to literally be a family on mission mm-hmm. it's it's sort of looking at scripture and saying oh there's a really strong theme that God has invited all of us to know him as sons and daughters to be the children of God, the family of God together. And that's like, you see it all throughout the New Testament that that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ is to be part of this family of believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just for our sake so we can have like a nice family that feels good, but it's for the sake of others. And it's to be on mission used for the purposes of God. You know, to, you know, we talk about at St. Clair, um, both covenant and kingdom that covenant is this relationship that God's brought us into and this is the family that we get to join and be a part of and kingdom is the sense of responsibility is the like movement of God in this world and he's brought us into relationship and given us responsibility and missional family is trying to embody both those things at once so yeah it is a small group and yeah it does have a weekly meeting and yeah we do read scripture but it's it is seeking to be much more than just any one of those mm-hmm. things. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, the experience I've had with it and I've been loving is like small groups and I'm not knocking them, they're very important, but yeah. you can it can easily be something you just do and leave. Yeah. And have it just be part of that routine, the church routine that unfortunately can sometimes happen. Whereas it's much more hands-on, people seem to be much more involved, and it's actually getting to that point where we're being vulnerable and upfront with people. Yeah. That's one of the things from the church that you see in scripture, but is always hard to do, yeah. where it's, yeah, no, I, I see it there, but in practice it's a lot harder, but it's something that I'm seeing going on, so it's, it's awesome. Right on. Yeah, yeah it, it's, I mean, we we are learning it, and fumbling our way through it as we go but we the more we get into it the more we're deeply committed to saying oh we have to figure this out this really matters this represents so much of the heart of god and his hope for the world and it's so counter cultural both to like just a western way of living where to live sacrificially for the sake of others (laughs) in like a family type relationship is Mm -hmm. not like the norm but even then in like church culture to treat something that's more than yeah just the show up mm-hmm. kind of and then leave thing mm-hmm. is is i think taking a step further so it's it stretches us for sure oh yeah yeah um so what are some of the ways that saint Clair is involved in the community in hamilton yeah, a lot of that for us happens through missional families. So we're we're a church that uh, you know if you're to go on our website, you're not going to read a whole list of programs that we're running every week. We actually put that on the missional families to say what we do and how we serve our neighborhood and the city. Like that should be happening um, first through our families that are in our neighborhoods that are listening and looking for ways God may be at work and ways they can join in on that as opposed to a top-down um, kind of, for lack of a better way of 
like mandated kind of like set of things that we're we're doing. So I mean, I know some of the ways that our different missional families are present within the city um, are you know there's places like um, Micah House that is a house that um, takes in newcomers to Canada refugees, and so we have some missional families that help and support that. Um, we have people within our community that help. Um, run CAP, which is Christians Against Poverty, and they do some really great work um, to help bring people off of the margins and to teach them necessary life skills that, that allow them to stand on their own feet. Uh, and we have a few connecting points um, for people both in our community that, that are served by that, that program and people that are in leadership that, that help run that and, and our missional families are connected through that. Um there's, I mean, there's 541 is a eatery in exchange, a mm-hmm. not-for-profit um, thing in our, in our neighborhood. Um, I actually just got breakfast there this morning. <laughs> yeah, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is, uh, she's helped start that. So that's a place that's very close to our heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a place as well where um, there's a lot of crossover of our church community with the community that we call 541. Home, um, and so there's a lot of people that, that serve within both mm. places. We try to stay connected to True City, which is um, a network of churches in Hamilton that's working together for the good of the city. Um, and there's projects and sort of bigger things that True City often has going on that um, there's opportunities for us to plug into and connect to as part of that. Um, in the summertime, we've had some soccer programs going on that help just serve kids that are in the neighborhood that want the chance to play soccer and maybe don't have other things to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is good to keep them from doing things that they shouldn't do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you're, especially in the summer and you're like just an idol, you know, it it can lend itself to regrettable things sometimes. Idle idle hands, man. (laughs) They're not good. (laughs) And also, if you ever saw the movie, it wasn't a good movie. (laughs) I did not see the movie. Alright, don't don't watch it. Don't watch it. And then, that's that's pretty awesome, just because like, I know Sinclair does... It's... So it's in the Sherman Hub, Mm -hmm. and then Sunday mornings before church, you all serve breakfast to the community, and it's not even a come in and eat, and then you have to stick around and hear us preach at you. It's very much like come on in and eat we're happy to serve and we'd love for you to stick around because we want to share this truth Mm -hmm. but then with the missional families doing that that gives a much broader reach into the city so it's not just no we just serve the sherman hub and only the sherman hub and all y'all can go to other places yeah yeah we are having our community meet around a meal has become very Formative for us, I think it's it is one of those things now of our DNA of who we are, because um, when we look at the life of Jesus, it, he often you know would spend time around the table with his own disciples as they just come and be with him. Um, but then some of the most scandalous stuff that Jesus did was befriending people over a meal who were the least of these and the people that maybe the religious community kind of said whoa that is like you don't do that mm-hmm. um and i don't think we're doing anything that uh would want people to you know persecute us because of it but but we we we, we <laughs> believe enough that uh our chance in missional families uh in a sunday together around a meal and to be as inclusive 
as pos- mm-hmm. possible to say yeah, everyone's welcome at the table and that there's an aspect of doing family you know that is in our homes as a missional family you know, throughout the week but then also for us to embody being family as a corporate community on a mm-hmm. Sunday to say well I, you know in a healthy family like you eat meals together that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what you do and so we're just trying to take simple things that Jesus did and, and mimic and model those and um, yeah I think it gives us a great just entry point because it's uh, everyone needs to eat like mm-hmm. you know it's not uh, it, you know it's not an intimidating religious thing to come into what is now a church gathering and just have pancakes mm-hmm. that, that's like a very normal thing and I think I think I've said it to you before and someone will correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> but the interesting thing I've noticed with that and I love that you guys do that is the only repeat miracle that I saw was the feeding because right? uh, it yeah, was 5,000 yeah, yeah. then 4,000 yes, yeah. and that's to my knowledge, the only repeat miracle that Jesus did. It wasn't the one and done yeah. and move on. It was like, all right, no, people are hungry. Let's, let's do it again. <laughs> so on that spot, I'm like, awesome. I love you guys are doing that. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, <laughs> this would be a total side, but I, there's a comedian I heard recently. He's a, he can be a, be a bit crass, but his name's Patton Oswalt. And he, uh, yeah. yeah, he goes on a good rant about how, you know, if Jesus is joining the x-men or some super league of <laughs> heroes he's like you know what you know what superpowers would jesus offer i mean i'm sure he could raise the dead which you know like comes in handy when you're battling whatever you know galaxy because because in <laughs> comics uh, unless you, at, at this point it's unless your uncle ben yeah because the expression used to be unless your uncle ben uh bucky and Jason Todd. Okay. But then in the same year back in 2004, Jason Todd, who was the second Robin, and then Bucky, uh, who was Captain America's Robin, both came back. So now the only character who has stayed dead permanently in comics is Uncle Ben. Oh, wow. I everybody, didn't know that. Everybody else dies and comes back. You're like, <laughs> it just happened with Wolverine, where Marvel killed him off a couple of years ago, and they've announced, no, he, he's coming back. So you're like, okay. what, when is this happening? <laughs> Sorry, that's my side comic tangent. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say that Oswald jokes that, uh, you know, Jesus has proven himself to be good at making lunches for a lot of people as a superpower. <laughs> so, the Justice League would not go hungry. Yeah, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Love that side tangent. Uh, so you do preach occasionally on the Sundays. Mm-hmm. How do you determine uh, what to preach? Like, is there a schedule? But what happens if you're feel, really feeling led, like the Lord is taking you a different direction than what was kind of on the docket? Yeah, we're we're in the process of figuring that stuff out right now. My like my time and responsibility with St. Clair means that uh, I would preach about once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- our rhythm right now is that we are trying to map out kind of, okay, so what are the next couple months going to be? Um, and have potentially the Sundays marked out in advance and then when it comes to the actual week of um, there's a the three of us that are sort of the core staff and then a few others that are very involved with our Sunday gatherings we meet every Monday uh, you know right following um, our Sunday gathering we talk and pray and reflect on the Sunday that just was and we just say okay was God doing something in our midst that 
we should be paying attention to? Is there follow up on any things or you know, things to celebrate or things to like fix? Um, and then we'll look ahead to what the coming Sunday is. And usually we'll, we'll know at that point what the scripture is going to be, um, kind of having marked it out, mm-hmm. you know, a month or two in advance. And then we would read the scripture together and just, just talk on like anything that comes to mind on, you know, what that scripture is saying or sort of maybe what the general topic is for the morning. And then whoever is preaching, if it was Matt or myself or whoever, um, we would then take that. Yeah. So then we will, whoever then is preaching kind of has a conversation that has helped start uh, a sense of direction for the Sunday to come. Um, and then, it, so for me, I would then take whatever we, we typically would like to have one text that is sort of a highlight focus for us. Uh, we would usually in our Sunday gathering have someone read that passage of scripture before the preaching happens. So there's a sense of our community being centered around, uh, scripture and what God is saying for us, but there there's a freedom in terms of the style of preaching that we do. So I preached last Sunday and our focus text was Galatians four, four to seven, talking about how God's adopted us as sons and daughters and we can call him Abba Father. Mm-hmm. But I end up drawing on a whole bunch of texts and so I kinda of went all over talking about the the value of family. Um and there's there's freedom for that. We the community is pretty gracious in terms of not being stuck on any particular style. Um, so it does give me freedom to say, oh, I actually really feel like I should go more in this direction. You know, I can do that and people aren't going to be like, oh, that's not what we're used to. Or or we, yeah, it, it, it allows me to have some freedom. I'm learning it as I go. So I couldn't even say like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I do every time. Um, cause I think every time I'm learning something new and how I'm trying to approach it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so the next, uh, question I had, just cause you get different people, different answers from different people, especially on this one. Mm-hmm. Are there any resources, uh, pastors or authors? Cause I, and you get pastor authors yeah, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. specific <laughs> theologians or even, uh, like online, I know online comics is a popular one. Like Adam for Adam Ford, who does the Adam Ford E web okay. web comics, anything like that. Like guys that you specifically go to that you'd recommend. Okay, I'm gonna pull out my phone and look at the podcast that I subscribe to because I some of that is uh, is helpful and influential for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean authors that have left a mark on me that I find myself coming back to. Um, Brennan Manning is, is really, has been really significant for me. I'm always challenged and feel like I'm taken deeper every time I read his stuff. Um, and I'll, I'll reference him often. Um, a guy like Henry Nowen is someone that will just drop these like little bombs and there it's just a sentence or two but then you're like oh my gosh yeah sit down and uh and so uh you know i nt Wright or um tim keller or uh, t kills <laughs> <laughs> um uh i mean a guy it's it, he has had a mark on me along the way like a rob bell's teaching and like 
you know, what he was able to think and innovate, you know, was really challenging for me. And so there's been different guys along the way mm-hmm. that have, have left their mark. And, um, right now some like different pastors that I would try to listen to, to learn from, uh, a guy named Chris C from Ecclesia Houston is a guy that I've kind of followed and just listened to for a while. And I really just appreciate his style for lack of a better word um and i would say the same of um church in portland oregon called uh, amago day with rick mckinley um i know chris and rick are friends or they kind of swim the same circles um uh the liturgist podcast is like one that i know a lot of friends listen to and so i will i will pick up on it um often and it it it's very stretching for me like it's uh, often going a step further than what i would have sort of been processing myself um but it's uh they do a really good job of bringing in difficult topics and giving you a place of like wrestling with it Mm. um there's a podcast called seminary dropout uh which i enjoy and is fitting for me because i'm sort of a seminary dropout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they have a really good um, uh, collection of people. Like, it's a really rich resource, a ton of episodes, and some really great authors and speakers that uh, circulate through that. It's connected through Missio Alliance, which is a, a network that is really great as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's other stuff, but certainly that is some of what yeah. I, I look to. And then just just because you mentioned it, I, I can't not. Yeah. So Rob Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that was the buzzer. And that, buzzer that, of the he, day. He seems <laughs> to be the buzz one these days. Yeah. Um, just because I, I think it's a, a good thing to address. Like he's he's gone a ways a bit. Yeah. But he still has some valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, when you look at his Numa kind of era, era stuff, like it was pretty solid. Oh, yeah. But it seems yeah. like, even though he's gone the ways he's gone now, where it seems to be leaning towards a lot more universalist, we're ready to just throw it all out. I know people did this, like, I'm I'm still a Driscoll fan, even though he had yeah, his yeah, yeah. issues, yeah. and it's like, nah, it's not all bad, so. Yeah. I like that, I just like that you brought it up, because I, I get hesitant around Rob Bell. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and I've got no no issue with someone that says, ah, he's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I had a conversation the other day with someone about this. We've, I don't know, we've created this weird world of celebrity pastor yeah. where I don't think anyone can survive that spotlight. And so, you know, we're ready to kind of crucify them as soon as they say or do something that challenges like, what we're okay with mm-hmm. um and realizing oh that person is like on a journey as well and they they might see it or land differently when they're 80 years old and they've had a lifetime of like you know because we read like chesterton and tozer and luther and all these dead people that like you know we have the luxury of time and space to like kind of figure out what they've said after the fact and yeah you know but here we are like with people who are figuring out right on the spot and we kind of want to like you know crystallize everything they say to say it's it's gospel or it's like authoritative and you're like well 
they're probably going to miss the mark along the way. You know, and some people obviously like might start going down a certain path. You're like, I can't, I can't follow you there. Yeah. But I'm totally with you on that, that it doesn't mean you discredit everything mm-hmm. to say, well, you can't, you can't accept or pay attention to anything they've ever yeah. done. And then while they're on that path, like if somebody asks, um, like I know personally with me, if somebody was asking me like, oh, hey, would you recommend Rob Bell? I'd be like, I have a lot of concerns with this, this, and this, yep. where he's at now. But while you're, and it's okay to bring up those concerns, it'd be like, are you praying for that person at the same time for yeah, those yeah. concerns? Remembering so. that it is an actual person. Exactly, yeah. and not yeah. just like, we're ready to flog the public figures as soon as they do. Oh, yeah. As soon as they do something where it's like, hey, I might listen to Piper and Jay Pipes might be like the biggest guy, but Jay Pipes slips up along the way as everybody does, so... It's like, are we praying for these people? Oh yeah, as they're as they're doing this. Yeah, I think you definitely have to hold them up in the light of saying, oh, they they are a person, you know, not perfect, you know, yeah. like any of us. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we kind of want to idolize or put on a pedestal these people within our like church cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want them to be able to check every box to be like the kind of perfect version of we want what we want them to be. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think you see any example of that of people in scripture that God chooses to use. Like he is purposely picking often the least likely of person or the people that do not check every box and is saying, oh, because of their weakness, mm-hmm. I actually that's like why I'm choosing them is because they'll. I'll be more glorified because it'll be even more obvious that they couldn't have done this otherwise. And I'd, maybe sometimes we lose sight of that in the like people that we kind of yeah hold up. And when you mention that checklist, I just can't help but thinking like Paul assisted in murdering <laughs> King yeah. David, man oh, after yeah. God's the list, own heart, the list is committed long. adultery <laughs> and set up a husband to get murdered yeah. amongst a plethora of other things, but we're quick to at times either focus just on those or sweep those under the rug, but it's like, yeah. oh, this, this this guy gambled, like, yes, pastors all are, call, are called to a higher standard, Oh yeah, yeah, but like we're we're so quick to be like as soon as it's that one thing we don't like like yeah. time to put them out the pasture yes old yeller them <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it yeah it's it definitely becomes messy when we yeah create that world that was a fun side um <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so uh how do you find the state of the church in Hamilton I. I would say I am no authority on it, but what I do know is that of friends of mine, you know, whether friends that having grown up in London, still being connected to community there, or friends elsewhere, they often have commented to me and said, "Oh, there's something about Hamilton." Like, and I think it's recognizing the presence of true city true city being a collection of churches that are together for the good of the city that is a cross-denominational thing mm-hmm. and that it's like not just well we'll try this for a year and then it'll just inevitably fizzle it's like no this thing's actually been around in place for a long time and i think just the sense of unity around true city uh 
is amazing. And the more you go other places and you realize, oh, this is a gift. This There are incredible people that have fostered and nurtured and protected that sense of unity. And I think that just brings like a really great vibe to what the church is, what the church's identity is in the city of Hamilton. It then kind of becomes a beacon for other cities to say, oh, it's possible to work together. It's possible to to be kind of hand in hand in what you're seeking to do for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, I, I try to hold that up as like a, just being really thankful to be in a city where there is this great thing to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, would be hopeful that, that other places can share in it in the same way. Nice. And that's an interesting thing. Just, Interchurch connectness, connectedness, like not, and I don't mean this in a bad way mm-hmm. or to say it's across the board, but I haven't personally seen it happen in a lot of churches. Like it, I, you do see it, and praise God that it's there. But yeah. it's kind of like it, at times we can, or churches can, unfortunately, be like isolated and like power unto themselves, where it's. Now, we're a huge body. We're supposed to be a huge body. Oh, yes, yeah. we might differ on some lower or, le- I'll say, less important, like, theological issues. Yeah. And yeah. we need to draw those lines, but that at points we're making mountains out of what yes. are molehills. Oh, yeah. molehills. Yeah. And then it's awesome that there's more interconnectedness here. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I don't think you could blame any other city for not having a true city because that's just kind of the mode that we've settled into with churches is that we're kind of all our own tribe Mm -hmm. all are these like silos doing our own things but then to realize oh another way is possible uh and that unity is such a critical i would say non-negotiable piece of the body of christ that's like oh we just we have to figure out a way to to do this and, and maybe it's small inroads mm-hmm. you know and and certainly uh i'm sure true city has a lot to still grow in and and be like maturing in um but uh it's really good to have something to say oh no it is possible like and so let's all work towards you know whatever unity looks like in our in our own context awesome then True. Hundo P. Hundo P. Little side of the work in its way in. Uh, Jessica, that question kind of touched on it a little bit, but sure. what, what do you feel is a difficulty faced by the church today? I This last year, I got introduced to a guy... I'm pretty sure he's dead. <laughs> so like a guy from a previous time. Right. Um, uh, his name's Leslie Newbigin. Uh, and he's fr- he's a British guy who, from what I understand, um, spent the better part of his life, I think 40 some odd years, serving as a missionary in India. Mm-hmm. And then after a time came home to Britain and realized, oh, there's been a shift in the church, you know, in his, his own context of Britain, where once there there was sort of a Christendom, like where church, you know, would be a um, a very sort of present 
part of society, you know, like the church would have a pretty strong voice in like, you know, political kind of noticed, oh, the church is kind of being relegated to, you know, a little corner and society just wants to kind of keep on doing its thing and say, well, religion, you've had your, your time, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. And so I think what he was offering was saying, oh, we need to rethink how we be the church, not operating under the assumption that, oh, everyone should just kind of do things our way because that's the way it used to be and we don't want to lose kind of like the the place or the influence. And, um, and he is kind of saying, well, actually maybe it's good if the church goes through this sort of like maybe almost like a purging process where we shave off a lot of the stuff that we've kind of tacked on to say, oh yeah, this is what church is like. But it doesn't actually reflect the church as it's described in the New Testament. It's kind of become our own creation over the Mm -hmm. years. And so he he kind of was this like guy years ago kind of saying, hey, we got to pay attention to things are changing and we need to think more creatively about how we be the church and not assume that the rest of society's always just going to listen to us because we were the church and they should listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'm going to pull up a quote that uh, I've come back to a few times and has been really helpful for me, but it maybe describes as well as anything else I know kind of what the state of the churches today it says christianity began in galilee as a fellowship of men and women centered on christ it went to greece and became a philosophy it went to rome and became an institution it went to europe and became a culture it went to america and became an enterprise we need to get back to our roots and i i think that you know to say that the church in America right now or North America is operates like an enterprise, um, I, don't know, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah, you know, of kind of like the way we can see church today. And this guy Richard um, Harvelson is saying, "Oh, it started as a fellowship of believers centered on Jesus." Yeah, and it became other things along the way, but it should never not be mm-hmm. like at the core of our fellowship of believers. Um, and so I think I would say that is the lens that we need to see things through, is not like how big can we build up our church to be and assume that just more numbers means more influence, but how actually can we be a fellowship of believers who are being present in the places that we live and work and being like kind of on the ground with our Christianity that really that's that's the heart and hope behind a missional family is that we are like learning to live this out not in a way that is like tied to a sort of program central church but is like empowering people to be disciples wherever they are I think that's kind of the thing that this guy Leslie Newbigin was getting on a while ago was saying well we need to pay attention to like new ways to doing church yeah 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 and that's it it's a very uh thought worthy point it's something that 
we need to meditate on and need to think about. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to that that yeah. is kind of just scratching the surface. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that one could be a whole different, like, hour and a half oh, long yeah, topic yeah, yeah, minimum. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, how do you see... You, you've kind of talked about some of it, so... Yeah. It, it, yeah, how do you see the Lord at work in Hamilton and in Canada? Yeah, I mean, certainly, like, the... The example of True City is a, a really great reminder of, of something um, that God's doing in Hamilton. Um, I wouldn't be audacious enough to claim, oh, this is what God is doing across our nation. <laughs> um, but... Uh, it differs from, like, county to county and city oh, to city. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think... Um, uh, it was shared at our church um, more recently that, you know, our responsibility is to be improvising the gospel in such a way that the gospel is always to be for the context of a certain people at a certain time at a certain place. And we just, for Hamilton, for a Sherman Hub neighborhood, we think the contextualization of the gospel is doing this family on mission. Um, but when you look at just like a Canadian climate uh, I wonder if there's room for others to do similar things and figure out what does it look like to be to embody a family on mission but and figure out what that looks like for their context um, and I know we've had some people visit our church from the states and other places to kind of be like an outside observer and have just had some really encouraging things to say, oh, like maybe what you guys are fiddling around with at St. Clair could actually help serve other people as well. Like whether it's in other parts of the city or other parts of the province or maybe, maybe it is for a broader context than just what's within a stone's throw and I mean that's not for us to decide we're just supposed to do what's be faithful with what's put in front of us and yeah. that's living this out in our own neighborhood um, but should that be like of help to others then then maybe like we'll wait and see yeah uh, so final final two questions um, what would you say is your biggest struggle as someone in pastoral ministry mm-hmm. and reason I, I like asking this question mm-hmm. I, like I like asking all questions but thing is a lot of people unfortunately think oh the pastor's perfect <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of like and then as soon as it's like oh the pastor's a human it, it kind of harks back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. where yes there is a higher standard but y'all are human yeah <laughs> we, we each have our struggles and, and the Lord provides a way yeah um yeah yeah no I mean my wife says to me all the time David you are a perfect pastor a perfect husband and I say (laughs) (laughs) no that strangely enough that is not our conversation (laughs) yeah and that actually if I think about it um, you know my wife uh, who I you know value and cherish so much she just sees me without any pretense or any sort of like behind a microphone or in front of people she just sees me as I am you know so if if someone was like okay so who is the real Dave and all they see of me is being up front on a Sunday or or having a meeting with someone in a coffee shop you know kind of these things that have the um 
the surface level kind of appearance of doing spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Like I would, hopefully, I could point people and say, "Well, I ask my wife, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> the kind of person that I am, and that's that'll be an indication of what kind of pastor I am." Um, I mean, a guy that is hugely helpful in being insightful on this stuff is Eugene Peterson. Um, he just writes so well on saying, really describing what a pastor should be and what a pastor shouldn't be. And he debunks a lot of the, like, the pastor should be the hero of the church and, like, the guy who just can do it all. Um, he's actually, like, I think a prophet in that, in that he calls out, like, that mode of Christianity that has kind of become a normal thing in, in a lot of churches in North America is where you you think the pastor can do it all, that they have, that they're administrative, that they're great pe- great preachers, that they are really good interpersonal skills, that they have always found the perfect balance of family and ministry. And, every, you know, we just, like, kind of assume all those things on one person and I mean that's uh, maybe a microcosm or um, a more familiar example of what the like whole celebrity pastor thing is mm-hmm. is where we like think they need to check every box and so I think for me trying to curb that or live in the midst of what some of those expectations might be like whether they're spoken or unspoken um is I this is this is like a recent chewing for me that I need to <laughs> chew more on. <laughs> uh, is where Paul talks about you know follow me as I follow Christ. You know imitate me mm-hmm. right, in First Corinthians. Um, to me, I'm like oh there's significance to that that's way bigger than I've given credit to because Paul is the same guy that says, hey this is a trustworthy saving. Like Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. So he's like the guy who's saying, follow me. Like, if you look at my life, you will see Jesus. And at the exact same time, he's saying, Jesus saved me, the worst of sinners. I'm at the front of the line of, like, the worst of sinners. Yet he's saying, follow me. Like, and in my weakness, you know, Jesus. So I, there's still a mystery to me of, like, how to actually live that out of, being able to say to people look at my life imitate me follow me do as i do and you'll see jesus as i know jesus yeah yet to actually let people into your life in such a way that they see the good and the bad yeah and not just the good oh yeah to do it from to do that from a place where it's not coming from like a place of arrogance like i got it all together oh (laughs) yeah yeah just like a I don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think to just name that up front mm-hmm. is really good because everyone can identify with that. Everyone can say, well, yeah, I know I'm not cut out for this, so to know that the person I'm trying to follow is in the same boat, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, okay, that's like, takes some of the pressure out of the room. Um, now, I don't, like, how you find that place of being like sharing the common denominator of saying, Hey, we're all broken Mm -hmm. yet also being someone who is saying, follow me, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm pursuing Christ and I want you to pursue Christ as well. Um, that's, I, 
that's what I want my life to become. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have a while to go in figuring out like how to actually live that out. Yeah. But that seems more and more important to me than maybe any other piece of like pastoral ministry is actually embodying what I want other people to live in their own life. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh that can be an intense question. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Um, and the final question is, what would you say to someone thinking about pursuing a career in ministry? Ooh. Uh, I would say, for one, uh, you would have to remove the idea of career from the equation I think you'd have to think of it as vocation as like this is what I'm meant to do like in such a way that if someone is saying "Ah, I think God's called me to ministry or like I really like want to explore that um, I think to be in the place of saying I can't not do that where it's like the oh I, you know, as much as I try to fiddle around with other things, I keep coming back to like this. And I think God has hardwired me for this. I think he's gifted me for this. I'm, I'm actually passionate about this. You know, whatever this is, then pursue that and give your all towards it. I mean, there's nothing of our lives that um, should be kind of like, well, I'll do it as far as it's good for me. And then I'll go to plan B. Jesus is like, no, I I ask that you give your life away, like that you totally lay it down. That you become a slave to righteousness. Like you just give it over to me and I'll take care of it for you. And I think if you have that sense of like, oh, I can't not do this. I think I just, I dream and I like hope for these things for the kingdom of God and whatever fears come with that, just to be able to say, no, I I need to take a step forward in this. And, and, and you like come to a place of submission, surrender to it. I mean, I think to have the affirmation and wisdom of others, both friends and someone older, and maybe someone older that is doing the thing that you wish you could be doing, like that you're like, oh man, what they're doing, I love that, I wish I could do that. Seek out those people, learn from them. If they know you well enough, ask them and say, like, do you think, do you think maybe God has something like this in store for me? And hear from them. You know, and if you have people that are saying, yeah, you really should pursue this, then that's like a big, like, you should pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a, okay, what things do I need to just lay down that are keeping me from, from going all in on that? Um, but, yeah, I think doing bringing it to community is a really key piece in discerning, okay, like, I think God's called me to this. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you have to offer is for the sake of others. And so, like, other people are going to need to, like, recognize and acknowledge the giftings that God has put in you for the sake of others. It's not something that is just a total internal thing. It's it's something that gets worked out amongst others. And so you want others to have a voice in affirming and calling you towards that. Awesome awesome (laughs) (laughs) that was really big of my journey was like i had this sort of like quiet kind of like wondering about like i wonder if like 
am I really good at this stuff? Or is this like what God has for me? And then when other people said, hey, Dave, you're really good at that. Or like, you should do more of that. It was like, oh, there's oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, like yeah. it really took it a step further for me. And, and I needed that along the way. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for sharing and uh, taking some time to answer the questions. Uh, Chris and I are handshaking right now. We are, we are. Y'all can't see because this is audio. Um, and on that note, I'd like to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, and if you did enjoy, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll share. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and God bless, my friends. Take care.